some people had come out to take some pictures of my bar for a book. And okay. all of a sudden it turned into a conversation about, well, we should have a talk about the history of Tiki. Even though most of these guys have lived through the whole original round of it. Right, right. And, uh, but they became very interested and wanted me to give a talk. And then they said, well, let's, let's mix up some drinks that night, special drinks. And then, well, let's just turn it into a party and invite some people. Now, now it's one of our pretty big parties. And so, yeah, it turned into quite the party. Yeah. And we just finished our third annual one this year and very successful. And thank you all who came out to that and hope you come again next year. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, aside from Tiki, you know, you're, you're, you're a pretty, pretty big adventurer in your own right. So you grew up in California, right? Yes. Um, California you, you, native. You, from what I understand, you did like the entirety of the Boy Scout experience. Yeah, right? I... Like, uh, I pretty much uh, never did sports, mm -hmm. partly because I couldn't. <laughs> it, but uh, my interests early on were in uh, camping, fishing, exploring ghost towns. Uh, did that with my family a lot during the summers, and it made for great summers. And then uh, we started in Indian Guides and all the way through uh, all levels of Boy Scouts. And so I did you a did lot. You did Eagle Scout. You Eagle got your Scout. Eagle. And what, then, what age did you get your Eagle at? Uh, I think I was. 13. Oh my God. Or 14, somewhere you know, in there. I got mine 18 on the dot. <laughs> on, on the dot. Yeah, I was kind of an overachiever, I guess. There you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I loved the outdoors. Uh, so, it's always been a place where I, I like to go and get away from it all and just kind of be at peace and away from the right. madness for a while. <laughs> so, then, so. so, then you, you, so in addition to that, you, you got an EMT certification at some point? Is that yeah, right? uh, at the end of high school, I ended up getting an EMT certification because I had this idea that I wanted to go into medicine. And mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I spent about a year and a half volunteering in the emergency room at Torrance Memorial, back when you could do such things. Right. <laughs> and uh, at the end of that, I decided maybe that wasn't what I wanted to do. <laughs> but uh, it was fascinating, and um, I've continued to take courses in uh, Various things. But you kind of kept up your skills at the same time, yeah. right? You've done you've done yeah. some wilderness stuff, right? Yeah, and uh, just last year did a, a combat medic sort of course for. Yeah. Um, you know, you see things going on like mass shootings and whatnot, and you think, well, who's going to help me right. or someone I know if if that happens? So I think if you're a traveler, or adventurer, or whatever, no matter what you're doing, having yeah. those skills is pretty important, and yeah. and you know definitely gives you the confidence. And I'd say you know. Uh, kind of ups your level of risk analysis, so so you, yeah. so you're more comfortable wherever you are. I've had enough guns around me at various places that yeah. <laughs> the odds are higher when you travel sometimes. Right. So tonight we're talking about your trip to the Himalayas yes. and basically uh, your tour around all the ancient kingdoms. Um, I you know I say say it's surrounding Everest, right? All in the general area. All yes. in the general area of Mount Everest, which um, you know normally we hear a talk here about, about you know, people climbing it, climbing Everest, yeah. or, or or going to the base camp or something like that. It, but but you basically took a took a trip all around it. Yes, we <laughs> saw it many times. We, yeah, we flew over it, right, uh, or slightly around it, and then we uh, we saw it from many mountaintops in places we were, off in the distance, and. Um, Interestingly, it was, you'd look out and you go, where's Everest? And they'd point it out and you go, well, that's very small. And then they'd say, well, that's 200 miles away. <laughs> oh. And then you'd realize, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yes, that's Everest. 
So yeah, that's interesting because I think you know a lot of adventurers going out there, they you, they bypass all that culture, and 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 there there's a ton of culture, and I'm I'm glad we're here tonight exploring that. Yeah. Because uh, because most of the time it's like, hey, I hate to say, like, who's going to help get me to the top, right? Mm, yeah. But I mean that whole area, and 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 at the you know between India and China, it, there's there's a ton of culture there. Yes. And, and in the old days, you know, there were several kingdoms there. There was the kingdom of Gorkha, where uh, Gorkha is derived from uh, and is currently in Nepal. Uh, there was Tibet. Um, Darjeeling was a territory that kind of went back and forth between the kingdom of Sikkim, which was another place we went, uh, and uh, back to the kingdom of Gorkha. So that was in contention a lot. There was a lot of warfare going right. on between all of these kingdoms at various times. So let's start, where where do you fly into? So you fly in from, from somewhere? We flew America in, wherever, uh, I don't even remember where we left from, but we flew into Nepal, okay. uh, into Kathmandu. Okay. And um, great, amazing city. Uh, we started off on our arrival by someone having zipped open our uh, zippers on her bags, and some people had some things stolen. We didn't, fortunately, but... Um, <laughs> welcome to Nepal. <laughs> yeah, everything's been searched, right? Yeah. Do we have that picture of you guys coming into Nepal on the plane, I think? You, so, so there's Everest. Yeah, this, so this was in one of the, the transits. Uh, so that's Everest in the background. And um, yeah, so you come into Nepal and... That's what you see before you land. Yeah, and you get into Nepal and it's just an ancient, ancient city. Mm -hmm. um, if you... Very few vehicles at the time we were there anyway. And uh, so motor scooters, a few cars. But if you took those out of the picture, you, it's like stepping back 800 years, probably. Hmm. You know, there's still a, use, a lot of use of uh, animals for burden. And um, you don't see a ton of Western wear necessarily. Hmm. So it's, you get a, a feel that if you go to Europe, you say, oh, this is old, you know. But you go to a place like Nepal, and you go, wow, no, this is old. <laughs> right. It's been around a long time. Huh. So um, I'm fascinated by things like that. I, the culture and the places that we go, I typically don't go to, for a sport or an achievement thing. I tend to go to experience the culture and the place that I'm going mm -hmm. and to try to capture some of that sometimes and bring it back. So, um, so you did bring some stuff back here. Yes. Um, so and the in, whiskey's not a part of it. So in Nepal, so we have <laughs> set that down. In Nepal, uh, monkeys are are revered. Monkeys are all over the place in the Himalayas, and they are treated variously well or not so well. But they're they're pretty much tolerated everywhere. They're in abundance everywhere. This is the only trip I've ever had to take where I had to get a rabies shot before I went. Hmm. And uh, so. One of the main things there is a large monkey temple that's up on a, a pretty steep hilltop, and there are prayer flags running from adjacent mountains over to that hilltop, and uh, it's a spectacular-looking place, but everywhere you go is monkeys. Right. And you have to be careful where you step <laughs> because they leave droppings everywhere. They'll steal stuff. Don't even think about pulling food out around any of them because... So they're a menace. They're a menace. They're but people just kind of let them let them be, yeah. right? There's no 
because they are revered in a certain. Yeah, I mean, you won't you won't see someone kick a monkey or anything, but right. But they'll shoot it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're tolerated. They're they're respected, and they're kind and of. And this a is a time. this is some sort of. So this is actually statue, or this is a statue from a um, from another temple that's in Kathmandu, uh, in the city proper, and. Um, Outside the opening gate, there's a little bit larger version of this, about this tall. Um, and what's he holding? I believe it's a jackfruit, and it's sort of a fertility thing. So between the the monkeys that are revered and then the jackfruit as a fertility symbol, this is this is a very. Can you hold that thing. up so we can see a close sure. shot of it? A little bit um, higher. Sure. A little bit oh, higher. There it is. Okay. Yeah. So this is a reproduction. This is a this, this is a, a reproduction, and. Uh, this was funny because we were negotiating the price as everything is negotiated in those areas. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the real one standing behind you. So the guy, yeah. And so the guy's the guy knows he's got you because the temple's right there and he's the only guy who's got one of these. But uh, you know, I was talking to my wife about it, you know, well, you know, do we want to spend that much? Where are we gonna put it? And so the guy made a comment to me, he goes, Oh, so I see she's in charge. And I said, Oh, you just made a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> because you know what? Yes, now she is in charge. <laughs> yeah, you need to negotiate and with her. He, have fun. <laughs> he regretted it. He ended up dropping his price quite a bit just to get us out of the store. <laughs> so, so we brought that back. And then um, we also had a lot of time um, around the hotel uh, because of some... Um, insurrection going on with the Marxists, and so we had time to do some shopping. So tell me about that. And wait, wait. So I, shopping's fine, sure. right? But uh, there was a Marxist insurrection while you were there. Yes. To a certain so, extent. I mean, it wasn't like a cultural revolution type thing, but... No, but uh, what had been going on for some time was uh, there was a very strong Marxist base amongst the workers in Nepal. And um, so... They'd put a lot of pressure on the monarchy, and this was a monarchy when we were there. It was the monarchy of Nepal, mm -hmm. and um, or kingdom of Nepal. And they had made some gains the prior year before we were there in getting the, a rudimentary parliament set up, and so they had some representation with the monarchy. And uh, apparently that wasn't enough for them. And so while we were there, um, they decided to get particularly active and so all of a sudden there were demonstrations in the streets and the military rolled out and so they had armed military lining streets and they had armored vehicles out and all of a sudden we weren't going as many places as we were planning on so we were taking back streets and sometimes just not even going out because it was a little hazardous and they so didn't now, want us now, in the now as they're demonstrating and stuff what what was their reaction to I guess Westerners hanging out in the middle of their their, I don't. I think wouldn't they, say it's a revolution, right? But well, it, it was. What did it result in? Yeah, I don't think they really cared about us, honestly. This was all about them and the government, uh -huh. uh, the monarchy, and uh, you know, I don't think we'd have been at risk from them, particularly. But I think they just didn't want us getting caught up if some shooting started between <laughs> right. So the government and the so, demonstrators. So your, your so, movements became kind of. So they were like, you know, don't. You're not going into that part of town today. That's nah, so, a bummer. Yeah. So we missed some things, but um, but we had an experience we might not otherwise have had. Yeah. What did that and feel like? Like what what was the what was the climate like in terms of it was, what did the city um, feel like? It was a little weird 
there was a little bit of a pall over it. I mean, uh -huh. it, it was tangible. And um, the, one of the shopkeepers where I got this knife actually um, said, you know, it's not like this all the time. People are afraid to come here. Please tell your friends it's safe and, and we want them to come. And you could tell that this was really hurting the economy there. Uh, you know, people right. who depend on tourism, it was, it was really kind of becoming a, a threat that people were afraid to go. And uh -huh. so they were seeing a decline in their, in their economy. So this is the shopkeeper. So, so this knife you got in um, Kathmandu? Yes. And what type of knife is this? So this is uh, what's called a kukri knife and uh, comes with a scabbard. And a lot of people see these. Uh, you'll see them on the walls around the club. Actually, other people have collected some. Uh, this is a... What's in the scabbard here? Is this some sort of like sharpening? Uh, there are actually some smaller oh, knives. mini knives. For skinning and fingernail cleaning. Is that magnetic? you might want. Uh, I don't think so, but... So this is a very uh, weight-forward, heavy-bladed, very sharp knife, basically made for hacking people. Okay. And this was this was a warrior's knife, um, carried by the Gorkas or Gurkha, and the the Gurkha soldiers, very famous, uh, working with the British military. They were very feared soldiers, um, and they basically said, well, you know, a lot of people ended up being decapitated in their in their trenches by people who snuck up on them with one of these Jeez. and took them out in one swipe. So, so, so you might know that as a Gurkha knife, yes. but that's not. Yeah, it could be right either way. Um, so the Gurkha or Gorkha is a, the actual tribe. And that'll figure into a story later in. Uh, so this is a real <laughs> deal. Dealing. This isn't like a, this isn't like a, um, a tourist. Knife. No, that's I can a, feel that this is like that's a, a real deal. Uh, <laughs> that was, um, we talked to the guy, they're made in a particular village where there are specialists in doing these. Um, the, and it's sharp too. Yes. Uh, Wish we had something They're basically, in here. today, today they're actually made largely from old truck leaf springs. Really? Because the spring steel makes for a great blade. Huh. It holds an edge, it's tough. Um, and do you know what this, this little thing's for? I do not. I, I've tried to research that, and I've seen different theories about it. Um, basically, it's decorative, mostly. Okay. Oh, thank you. Right. Thank you. What, yes. what is that in Boy Scouts? <laughs> yes. What are you supposed to do? You say thank you before you release the blade. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. So, so, so while you were in Nepal, you, you, um, you were kind of limited. You did some shopping. You saw that the temples, the monkeys were nuisance. Yeah. But it, but it's a thing. I remember I, I went to Gibraltar. Oh, those monkeys are a nuisance. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they are. Um, but people kind of tolerate them, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a thing. Yeah. Well, there's a couple more stories about monkeys later on too. So. Okay. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, we had this kind of uprising while we were there. It kind of limited our travel. We uh, we ended up going on to our next destination, but six months later. They managed to dissolve the, the monarchy, and they became uh, wow the People's Republic or whatever. So it was when you were there, it was a it was a monarchy. Mm -hmm. There was a king. Yes. 
and, and, and there was an uprising and protest in the streets. And six months later after that, monarchy's gone. Gone completely, not like a parliamentary monarchy, no, like like dissolved. Oh, <laughs> not even figurehead. <laughs> not even a, wow. So, yeah, there'd been and a lot of animosity. And did that guy get decapitated? Uh, not that I know of. No, I'm he, pretty he, sure he, he loaded up a billion dollars into a plane and flew somewhere. But <laughs> <laughs> I give it to him, right? Yeah. <laughs> so where'd you go after Kathmandu? So we went from Kathmandu to Tibet, and okay. we, we flew into Lhasa. I went through all the Chinese. Uh, through and uh, we spent time in Lhasa. We we toured the the uh, Patala Palace and the uh, Jokhan Temple. I think we have a Temple. picture of the Patala pa Palace yeah. up there, right? Okay, uh, that's Nepal. Uh, click forward one more, one more. Okay, that's back back up one. Yeah, well, let's start with that one. So this is um, we got there early in the morning and. We kind of parked on an off street, and as you walk around into the main plaza here, the sun's very low, and and there's just all of this um, sage being burned. So all those clouds, go back to that real quick. All those clouds. That's all smoke. That's smoke from sage. Well, I mean, not a, there are clouds up above, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but the, the low lying stuff is all smoke coming from the temple. So you're walking towards the temple right now, huh. and. Uh, and it just, it's hard to describe to people who haven't experienced it, but sometimes when you end up in a place and there's a certain wood smoke and a certain feel in the air, you just know you're in a completely different place. Mm -hmm. And uh, so those kinds of memories that have those, those sensory stimulus really stick with you sometimes. Yeah. Well, they say like sense is like the, or, or smell is the, the strongest scent, mm -hmm. strongest sense linked to memory. Yes. Right, so I can imagine if you go into a place like that and you've never smelled any of that before, yeah, your brain would be like, "Well, this is different." Yeah, it's I an think it, No matter where you go, you know, your your brain, you know, you something, and you're like, "I know, I know what this is." Yeah, right? I know this. Yeah, but so when yeah, you're you saying get kinda, is, you get flashbacks too. You, yeah, I mean, you'll smell that smell somewhere just by chance, and then all of a sudden you'll it'll take you back to yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So there's another picture after that. Um, and let's just stay on this for a couple photos. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so this is on top of the Jokhang Palace, or temple, rather, on the roof, and you're looking out across the valley to the Patala Palace in the background. So that looks like, that looks like, that tower looks like a giant bell, but it, but it's not. It's yeah. got bells around it, right? It's not, but, um, yeah, they have a lot of strange-looking towers and things that, <laughs> uh -huh. hard to explain. Huh. I've seen things wrapped in like poles wrapped in like buffalo hide or something, yak hides and things, just strange. Huh. But it's a different country. But they do a thing going into the temple, uh, the next photo, called uh, prostration. And so this person, wherever he's coming from, is coming up close to the temple and he's laying on the ground and he'll touch his forehead to the ground and then he'll stand up and he'll walk to where his head was and then he'll lay down or prostrate himself again and he will do that for the entire journey from wherever he's coming from to, until he gets into the temple. That could be a long... It can be long. Um, By your estimate, what do you think the longest distance someone did that for? 
Like, if you, were you ever aware of a situation and like, okay, so there's the temple and there's the guy on his journey of prostration? Yeah. So, yes, I, I'm pretty sure this probably isn't the longest one, but just to give a sense of dedication and... <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, uh, we were driving on a highway from Lhasa to Shigazi, which is another major spiritual center. Uh-huh. And by car... It's about a six-hour drive. About two hours into the drive, we saw one of these guys prostrating himself along the side of the road. So that's like a 120 miles, we'll say. Um, well, six hours at figures 60 miles an hour. Just more? Oh, you, I thought you were two hours in. Well, so he okay, wasn't yeah. going to like an intermediate temple. But he or had probably like come that? from Lhasa. <laughs> Jeez. I don't know. But he had he had at least four hours drive to go and he's doing the whole trip one body length at a time stand up lay down stand up lay down um i mean the the spiritual strength the dedication the the will to do that is just incredible to me i it's gonna be the next crossfit workout right there (laughs) yes probably so (laughs) (laughs) don't don't run you, you don't have to run around the block you have to prostrate yourself in front of the temple of CrossFit. Yes. <laughs> so this guy was just on the side of the road, and you're pretty sure that there wasn't wasn't some sort of temple anywhere near. So. Well, there are temples everywhere, but yeah, apparently it's fairly common to make that journey because uh, um, Lhasa and Shikazi, and there are some other cities as well that have very famous, well-known temples, and it's a sacred trip mm-hmm. for people. It's kind of like doing the Hajj. Right? Mm-hmm. It's I'm going to get there, and I'm going to do it this way, and whatever it takes me, it takes me, and I'll have done it right, and I guess you get bonus points for that. There's a movie uh, called uh, Pass of the Soul. It's a documentary called Pass of the Soul about a family of Tibetans who prostrates themselves, does this 10,000 kilometers wow. from their village Jeez. to yeah. Lhasa, and then they go back. Wow. Yeah. That's it's insane. Uh, that's some dedication. <laughs> I'd say. So this is so you saw these guys on your drive from Lhasa to where? To Shigazi. Okay. Um, and uh, along the way there were some we saw a lot of interesting things. We stopped at a few other temples. We went over a pass that was about wasn't the tallest pass, but it was about fifteen thousand feet. Pretty That's big for pretty up there. Normally you have to climb, you know, we had Brian Creasy here here last week talking about the peaks yeah, that he's I climbed. That. Right? Yeah. And he wasn't climbing 15,000 foot peaks, and, and you're just driving over this pass, right? Yeah. So this really is like a, I, I mean, you know, it's, it, it's Everest, right? The Himalayas. Yeah. So, so, so there's a pass this, that you're driving. You can in actually car. bypass it, but, you know, it's, a, it's also a sacred spot. There's a lake up there. It's this mm-hmm. turquoise blue lake. So how'd you do? Were, were you, how'd, how'd you do at 15,000 feet? We did well. I mean, I'm, I'm not the most physically fit person <laughs> the best of times, but um, with the Diamox, you know, uh, that helped the altitude so tell, sickness. What's Dymox? Oh, um, it's it's a heart med. Uh, it was recommended to us by our our travel medicine group. Because um, uh-huh. you always want to go in and see what shots you need and what emergency medicines you might need and various. So yeah, what what what's, what shots did you need to go here? Um, we actually had to get rabies shots because. <laughs> because of all the monkeys and this be- guy right here. Yeah. And because of the propensity of dogs in India. There are dogs everywhere. I mean okay. and monkeys. 
So the odds of encountering rabies. So you get somewhere. rabies for dogs and monkeys. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, the diamox was the only other major thing that we got, and uh, it just helps with the altitude sickness. Um, my wife was was in uh, Tibet, probably in the probably in the eighties, I think. Mm-hmm. And she said the group they were with, they had like um, in their room. They had oxygen bags that were made out of goat skins, right? So they would just fill up this goat skin with oxygen. Some other people had tanks, but they didn't have them. And they would actually breathe the oxygen if they didn't feel that well. And one guy, one guy at dinner. So they just, just had the tank and they'd fill up a little bag and yeah. then. Yeah. And uh, at dinner one night, one of the guys that she was traveling with just passed out and just face planted in his soup <laughs> <laughs> at dinner. So. So it can be serious, and um, I've had altitude sickness elsewhere hiking, you know, mm-hmm. much lesser altitudes than that, and uh, so it really helped uh, a lot. You get some tingly fingers, you know, weird why, feelings. Why, why is that? I don't know why that is. It's um, You mentioned maybe vasoconstrictor. I, it's I mean, just that a known sense. side effect I don't know what Diamox does, but... Um, all I can say is it worked. Huh. <laughs> so that was good. Um, we had uh, another party with us who didn't fare so well. Um, he was on other medications. I don't know what they were, but they were like, I don't know, if they were blood pressure or other things. Uh, he had a whole bag full of meds. And, uh, and the altitude started interacting badly with him. And Where was this? This was going uh, over that pass? This was Okay. Um, as I recall, and it was... He just seemed kind of off for a little bit, and then one morning uh, he came out of the hotel. We were getting ready to leave, and uh, he got in the wrong vehicle, carrying his breakfast on a plate. Like he had, he like had the fork and yeah, <laughs> fork yeah, it. like he had just dished <laughs> up his buffet breakfast it. and gotten in the wrong one. So they steered him over to us, and we were like, okay, well, you can't really take their plates and stuff. But he was adamant, and uh, you know, it became clear during the rest of the trip he was just completely out of it and so he at the next town we had to arrange for him to fly out and, and go home huh uh, sad because it was uh, you know a lot of the great part of the journey was ahead of us at that point and uh, so yeah altitude does weird things yeah I'd uh, say <laughs> <laughs> that's funny and uh, so along the way here we also had some uh, oh there's a picture of if you get back uh, to uh, forward. Uh, one more. Was that go back to that one? I, I, I want to see that one of the. Go okay, back, back one, one more. Okay, so, yeah. So this was the guy on the road to this Shigazi. Is the guy that, yeah, yeah. There. I, I mean, you I don't can know see how there's, far he's going. I but. mean, there's nothing there, for as far as the eye can see, as far as <laughs> housings or anything else. Uh, so, yeah, he was so in the middle of nowhere. So how far do you work. think that guy? Would, I keep going back to this. How far? How far do you think he would go a day I, doing burpees? Man, I, I can't even imagine. I, I used to get like 10 miles? trying to do 20 miles, miles walking in a day. I can't oh, imagine. Sure, sure. How yeah, if you're walking, if you're doing 20 to 30 miles a day, you've yeah. you're, you got a good pace going on. I, let's just say he had a lot of spare time on his hands and no job to go to because... <laughs> in shape. Most people in Tibet are. There, uh, there aren't a lot of fat people in Tibet. <laughs> Um, 
that is it I because is, of good diet or is it because of this? I think it's I think it's a combination of diet and um, a lot of exercise, a lot of hard work. You know, it's especially out in these regions in the in the farm areas. I think the next photo has uh, no, that's a monk carrying Budweiser. That's a lock. Uh, this group here uh, was just out. some some gals in a field. Um, they were gathering. Uh, from the field and we're sitting there taking a little break and so I walked by and asked them if I could take a photo and they're very Tibetans are please mm -hmm. Tibetans are um, amazing people they have a My great um, great attitude about things um, it's it's very sad our tour guide you know when they're out in public they're always under the gun and in China they don't want Tibet to exist other than as a tourist destination. It's, they took it over, they don't want them to have their own identity, they want to dilute that mm -hmm. and fold them in more. And so, you know, on the formal tour, you get, oh yes, look at the beautiful this and that, and you know, China's been good for us because we have a road or a railroad now, uh, but on the last night, you know, we were in a private restaurant um, that was owned by friends of the guide, and and he said, it's not that way. You know, you don't you don't progress in Chinese society in Tibetan society now, unless you marry a Chinese. Hmm. They they're literally trying to breed Tibetans out of. So how do they do that? Because they value it as as like a tourist destination, and, and obviously, mm, yeah, that tourist destination is because they have an independent identity. Sure. A strong cultural heritage, sure. but at the same time, they're trying to. But they want control too. They want the tourist aspect of it, but they don't want the independence of it. They want the. But it seems be, like you can't have without yeah. one without so the other. So it's a balance. It's a balance. And do you think the Chinese government is riding that balance, or do you think that they're just, I, I guess, using uh, using Tibet as a as a as a means to have tourists there I think until they can race yeah. it? I mean, they bring they built a train just to bring tourists from China into the area. So it's, I mean, it's a big tourist destination and I'm not really sure what they get out of it. It doesn't, I'm sure there are some natural resources there somewhere that are worth having, but I, you wouldn't know it just to look at it. Right, so. there's nothing, that you didn't see any major like No, I, I didn't see any or mining or industry of any kind. I mean, it's, it's bleak farmland and and pastures and uh, a lot of yaks and um, you know most of the people are living in like in this village here they're living in mud mud brick homes they use uh, cow dung for you know dried cow dung for cooking fuel mm -hmm. in their stove animals live under the house you know, on the first level they live on the second story um, it's a, it's not an easy life. And it's interesting because when you hear about these guys that do these Everest treks and everything, mm -hmm. that, that, you know, that there's permits from the Tibet side yeah. and you hear about how they, they value that revenue. Mm -hmm. you know, why would they care? <laughs> you know, yeah. you imagine, can you imagine the U S government caring about the revenue that you get out of Mount Whitney permits, even if Mount or, or or Grand Canyon permits to hike or something, like it'd, it'd be a drop in the bucket. But yeah, huh. no, it's um, 
It's amazing. It, it's very sad to me because you see um, everything there in all these areas is so ancient. You know, I had mm -hmm. that picture of the lock up there. I mean, that lock was hand forged probably Do we have that 300 lock? years ago and that or lock, something. I that, think it's probably one or two, that one. And that lock was still in service. That was still in service in one of the one of the temples. It was a storeroom door. And uh, I mean, it's got ornate scribe detail on the hasp. And you know, someone someone in one of these red robes is walking around with that key in their pocket, you know, hmm. to open it. But it's been in use. It's clearly been there for <laughs> since the beginning of time. Um, but they still use everything. I mean, they. They don't really have a lot of modern stuff, and the stuff, the modern stuff that China has put in, just sticks out like a sore thumb. It's such an ugly contrast to it. Uh, it's very strange. And is it being used? Like, do they appreciate it? Like, what, what does China put the in there? The new stuff. Yeah, the new well, stuff. Well, most of the most of the stuff that was put in by China, I'm pretty sure was put in for the Chinese administration. Like a train station or building yeah, or something like office that. Office buildings and the like. But they'll like they put a big building across from the Patala Palace. Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, so back when Gloria came in, when you came in from the airport, this valley opens up and there's the Patala Palace. And now we drove in and there's, there's some administration something building. behind this big glass <laughs> building, right? It's kind of weird, but yeah. it's a domination thing. It's, I mean, the Patala Palace was like the Dalai Lama's uh, right. center, so you know, they, they set up station right across the street <laughs> with, you know, Chinese flags in, in between the two. Yeah, I think we see that a lot. You know, like uh, when Rob Quist was here a couple of weeks ago, you know, he talked about, um, what was it, the, um, in, in, in Budapest, yeah. that, that, that Christian church. Yeah. No, no, it's a Muslim, it's a mosque, right? Mm -hmm. Put the new flag on top, basically. Yeah, yeah right? just and that, build over that's the kind old of, one. It's kind of the story of history, right? You, you, you come in, you take over a region, you got to put your mark on it somehow. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. But it sounds, like, it sounds like at least that, you know, they're, they're preserving yeah. some of that. Fortunately, a lot of it is still largely unspoiled. That's good. Um, one funny note on the highway in between is you're driving from Lhasa to Shigazi and back. Our driver would just speed along at like 80 miles an hour, right? And then mm -hmm. he would just pull over and say, we're going to sit here for a little bit. Queen why? And uh, he goes, well, they have checkpoints. We will. And he goes, well, if I get there too early, they'll know I've been speeding. And <laughs> so we have to sit here for half an hour <laughs> so that they won't know that I was speeding. Like, he could have just driven the speed limit and we'd have been fine, right? Right. <laughs> but it's just a game. You know? I've always wondered why we haven't done that in the U.S. You're like, well, you know, like with toll roads, right? Oh, yeah. I think about that every time I drive up here. <laughs> like not They're to, clocking not, you between the... Yeah, not to give the government another, another way to screw us over, right? But yeah. like those toll roads are set up for it. They know exactly what you average between those two points. Uh, I'm sure they have a ticket button to flip somewhere when they need some revenue. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> yeah, when point. they need revenue, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, yep. all these people sped, you know. Yeah. Oof. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Yeah, if so. you're paying for the toll road, right? Yeah. you feel like you should be able to speed. Like, is that is that is that a yeah, sense of entitlement getting, that you have? Of course, they're getting their tax out of that. Yeah, too, but when you so when you hear the fast the much. fast pass transponder beep, you you feel like you yeah. you just bought the right to speed, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. Which really so, pisses me off when there aren't other people 
not speeding in there. Right. Like, why did we buy? Why did we? Why do we pay to be on this highway? Get off of here. But so what you're saying in Tibet, they actually check. They do. They have just. They just have physical checkpoints. But every time a car passes through, they they call ahead and say, "Yeah, this one just came through," and um, so they start the clock. Yeah. God bless the USA. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so where so, do you go from there? So, 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 so after Tibet, uh, we, we briefly flew back through Nepal to get to the airport there, and then we flew to Bhutan. And uh, the main purpose of the trip then was to see the Thimphu Festival in Thimphu, Bhutan. Okay. Which is, uh, it's basically almost a countrywide gathering that ends up in this city. And this is analogous to like the Sing Sing that would happen. Yeah. That, that level, that... Yeah, everybody gathers, they wear their finest outfits, all the dance troops come out and they have competitions and everyone demonstrates their dancing abilities. And uh, so that was, our, that was our impetus to do the trip. And, but we thought, well, all right, if we're going to go see that, let's cover the area. So we added on the other things. Um, so we end up in Paro, uh, and it's... Uh, Paro is a big bowl with high mountains all around it, and so when the plane comes in, you're flying a pretty large plane, and it comes in, and it does a really steep bank into that bowl, mm -hmm. and then drops down, and everyone, especially the pilots, are like, oh, wow, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a little close for comfort. But, you know, they do it all the time, and uh, they know what they're doing, so... Right. Um, so Paro is a spectacular valley, um, green flowers, the architecture in, in Bhutan is, is gorgeous and really unlike quite anyone else's and um, at least up at those levels you're in kind of almost pine forest area, mm -hmm. uh, but Bhutan is very water rich. Bhutan is one long country with a giant river running in the middle of it. And so they don't have the problems that we have in California. Yeah. Do we have some pictures of Bhutan? Yeah. I think Can we I, maybe back up from, yeah. Uh, let's, that oh, one. there's Everest Let's again. start with that one. Okay, so this is a bridge over the, uh, over the river. and um, The major river just, that goes through Bhutan, what's, what's that called? I don't know. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Andy will figure it out. Yeah. Um, so the architecture there is very unique. Uh, lifestyle is very, across all of the countries, very monk-like. Um, it's a, um, they really value their culture. The one thing I'll hand the government there is that they don't want their culture dissolved, especially by Western influence, um, or by China or India invading them, which we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> But they really value their, their dress, their way of life, and so the government really encourages people to wear traditional clothing all the time. Hmm. And most people do. How do they encourage, how do they? They just promote it. It's um, just like advertisements so again, on at TV? The, at the time we were there, it was a monarchy. So... Um, a little bit heavier handed of an encouragement, possibly. Well, I don't think they were really, I didn't get the feeling that, they just had a pride in their culture, huh. really. I mean, it wasn't like they were forced. Uh, it, people openly wanted to display their culture and preserve it. Even like the young, the young kids? Because I mean, that's yeah. how it starts, right? The young kids yeah. all, all yeah. see. 
watch TV. We really and... saw very little Western wear there during the whole, whole hmm. trip. Um, not until we got down to the southernmost part, you know, next to India. We started to see more there, but the rest of the country, really not so much. Um, so, let's see, I wanted to step through a couple pictures here. Did we find out the name of that river, a, by the way? What was that? That's the river that goes through Bhutan? You were in Paro, right, Ken? Yes. So the name of that river is the Paro Chu. Ah, okay. Makes sense. So, uh, maybe we can run through a couple photos here. So let's just start with this one. So these were just, this was inside one of the Zhangs and uh, they were just doing dishes after, after a meal. Uh, next photo. So these are some of the dancers at the Thinfu Festival. Um, you can see these spectacular wild colors, the masks, um, and they will, they'll dance in unison a lot. You'll get these leaping motions where they'll get the whole group trying to jump in the air all at once. Mm -hmm. And um, out of about 300 pictures I took, I got one where they were all off the ground at the same time. <laughs> so, um, you know, we had uh, people come from all over and, and cram into these places. Um, can we throw up the next one? We'll just walk through pictures for a few minutes here. So these kids were up in the, a little spy place up in the building, you know, looking mm -hmm. out. It was kind of cute, but they're having a good time watching the show. Uh, next. Okay, so this guy is a clown, and you can't really tell so much, but what he's holding in his hand right there is a penis. And so, <laughs> wait, this so, guy. Uh, okay, so a lot to unpack there. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, okay, so first of all, he's a clown. He's so, a clown. In other words, when we in America see Bozo the clown with his, with his red nose and white face, yeah. this guy, pop him up. Is, pop. is that kinda, guy is the equivalent kind of the equivalent now now these are all various um, folk characters right but, but his job is to like entertain is to entertain and, and is to like run around goof. the event and um, and what he does is he'll take this big wooden penis and he'll sneak up behind someone and he'll touch their cheek with it you know and then they'll <laughs> you know they'll freak out and they'll run away and you know it's all a big game it's all in great fun you know but it's just it's hysterical to watch them do this. Yeah. Uh, but apparently it's a big deal in their culture. Yeah, if we could pull up the next photo, and so we'll, he, we'll stay he, on this for he, a little does bit. Does he harass everybody. everybody equally? So it's not yeah. just he's like walking up behind women and- No, no, and, no, it's everybody. Everybody's fair penis game. Penis on the cheek. And it's, it, could be a, it could be a minister, it could be anybody. Everybody, you know, everybody everybody's gets fair it, game. Everybody gets on the cheek. There's a great deal of equality in that whole thing. <laughs> but you know the uh, the phallus is is a big deal in Bhutan. So here's one inside the doorway in a house. I didn't even notice that there was a yeah. I, how giant could you orange miss it? penis right, under right, right, yeah. well, I <laughs> so was the looking next, at the, the the skull from the yeah. So the next picture right? is uh, they would hang these from the rafters to blow in the wind. So this is uh, t double ended with a. Uh, it's like a wind chime. Pointer penis. or something, yeah. Is that it? So it would just blow around in the wind. And then the next one, they would paint them just on the sides of houses. I mean, you just drive by and see these giant things painted on the sides of the I houses. I mean, I feel like we do that here too in the United States. I feel like kids, kids across schools draw that on their papers yeah. and other people's yeah. papers. But uh, well, it's a, put that back up. That, 
it's that's a, a new level of artistry right there. It's like a they, big, it's a big fertility symbol. Um, well, I don't know if you know this. We live next to a church, but this isn't graffiti. No, this no, no, that, no. This is not graffiti. This is put that back up. This is <laughs> someone's house decoration. You see a lot of them. Ah, yeah, that's well done. Um, so anatomically correct. Yeah. Even a little squiggle out the front. So yeah, a little strange. So the, their fertility symbols are very like because I, I remember you're talking about this guy. He's got a jackfruit, and mm -hmm. this, there's, there's a there's a monkey here with a jackfruit, and that's a symbol of fertility. Bhutan, it seems like, is a little bit more on the nose. Yeah, they're not subtle about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing you would see a lot of driving along was chilies. They use chilies in cooking, so uh -huh. they grow a lot of chilies. So you'd be driving along, and you'll see someone's roof just covered in red. And, and they're just drawing chilies up there. They've harvested, and they dump it all up on the huh. roof to dry. So we can do the next picture. We don't have to put that uh, in there. Okay. So I, I can just talk about this. Um, throw it up there so everybody can see. So this is an archery range we went to. Um, this, I think, was in, was in Paro. Um, so if you, if you look at this picture, we're sitting right in the middle. So you're looking to the right, and you see in the, just to the right of the center, you see a couple of guys squatting down next to a target. If you go to the next picture, which is looking left from where we were, you see an archer there. Now those guys don't move when he shoots. They're there to distract him and make him miss the target. What if he misses to the right? Um, bad news for the guy on the right. Huh. So, <laughs> and, and they'll stand there and they're drinking too. You know, this is like the equivalent of bowling. Archery is their natural, uh, natural, their national sport. And they actually have teams that do very well in the Olympics. So when they're done at the end of the day, they go to the archery club instead of the bowling alley and they drink a lot. Do they make YouTube videos for this? I Because I feel know. like they're missing out. Yeah, I, you would. I guarantee you, you know, I've seen a lot of YouTube videos of people drinking with yeah. crossbows or compound bows or yeah, whatever. Never ends well. Yeah. <laughs> it ends I, in a YouTube video. I, I can tell you that <laughs> to sit there and watch it is very engaging. But they're, okay, so they're, so, so they're lined up, right? It's almost yes. like a joust, right? Like, we're going to sit like the apple on a head, but they yeah. have the target to the, to the side. Yeah. And so, they're just shooting arrows back and forth. Yeah, so they're, I mean, they're trying but to hit the target, drinking. obviously, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're there, you know, just as he's getting ready to shoot, they'll do this, you know, in, in front of the target, just, just to mess with him. Oh, boy. And uh, so, <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's kind of like watching a car chase, you know, you, you watch it for the whole thing, because you know something's going to go wrong eventually. <laughs> now, did you ever see something, did you ever see a guy like, like, juke out of the way, like, boop? Yeah, they'll, yeah, they'll... They have enough time. It's a long enough thing, and they've been doing it long enough that if they see they it's know going that that a little off, they'll... And this isn't but like they're one pretty of those, good too. those, it's not those like, like crazy arrows that's meant for taking down hogs. This is just yeah, a no. target and, arrow. And none of these guys is going to miss by three feet. I mean, they're... That, you know, well, how they far might, is there, They might how far miss is the target, but they're not going to miss it by much. Even when they're drunk. This is what they do. So Drunk <laughs> archery. Yeah. Who knew it was a thing? I, did, I, I definitely didn't. <laughs> you know, I think, I think you said before you came in, it's like, oh, yeah, they're really into archery. Yeah. But this is way more fun. Yeah. We actually went to a temple. Um, it was a long hike, which we 
us out of shape people barely survived, but it was the uh, Tiger's Leap Monastery. And uh, it's this cliffside monastery that's just way the hell up there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's almost a, it's a really steep trail just to get to it. Is this the one you had, you had a picture of, of one that was kind of on the side of the cliff? I think it's one no, of the famous one I, ones. No, I don't have a picture of that one. Okay. But, but we thought about going up there, but after we climbed up just to the viewpoint, we're going, okay, we're using a telephoto and calling it good. Because <laughs> but along the way, along the trail, we saw something that it looked like a target, but it was just in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I couldn't figure out what that was about. And so uh, about 10 minutes later, you know, we're slogging up the hill and we see another one pointed the other way. And we looked back across, and it was across this, this canyon. They had set up targets on either side of the canyon so huh. people could shoot it's across like, the it's canyon. It's like horseshoes, and, right? Yeah. I feel yeah. like this is more fun than horseshoes, though. We should bring this to the United States. Yeah. There's no liability you can involved, fit a range right? in Chase Hall here. <laughs> Weirder things have happened. Throw that so, picture up there. You got, you got that guy. Yeah. See, he's there just, just making fun of the guy. Okay. So yeah, that's that's something to do. I'd be into that. That'd be a lot of fun. So I let's feel like I have to picture. get good at arch. Like you got to get good at archery. So you, you yeah. said you can't miss by three feet. Well, the bad ones weed out really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I've I've gone archery shooting with people. Yeah. There's people that miss by three feet. Oh yeah. You know, and especially at that long distance, like, ooh. Yeah. That's a matter of national pride. This is what they do in their spare time, so. Yeah, I'm into it. There's guys out there with, I mean, these guys were all using long bows. There are guys with compound bows out there, too. Yeah. I guess it's like a different class of. (laughs) That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, but no crossbows, right? No. That's just cheating. No. Yeah. Yeah. If we hit the next picture, I think there was a. Yes, we could throw this guy up for a second. So this was the minister of, I believe, culture for the country. Interesting thing about Bhutan is that you can get very close to pretty Pretty. senior members of government. Mm -hmm. So what was going on in the country here is they're a monarchy, or were at the time we were there, and they were... In this case, the king himself was driving towards a parliament because he wanted to westernize his country. Yeah. That way he gets two jets full of a billion dollars. Yes. As opposed to his <laughs> one jet where people are Actually, chasing him down the runway. Yeah. Actually, that's he probably did it. smart. He you did know, it for very good right. reasons. And yeah. the reasons well. were that they are sandwiched between India and China. Uh huh. They're like a buffer between the two countries, and they have some of the greatest hydroelectric potential in the region. They have all this water. Unlike Tibet, Tibet is kind of like, I'm not sure what's... Yeah. Bhutan Bhutan has some serious potential for hydroelectric power, and and they don't want to do it on a large scale because it would ruin everything. And, Uh um, And they also don't want China or India moving in, like India did with Sikkim and China did with Tibet. Um, so they wanted to transition it on their own. Um, our guide was actually a member of the forming parliament. Really? How big was which, their parliament? Uh, I don't know, but I don't know, maybe 50 people would be my guess. Huh. But 
you know, this guy traveled with us. We ate dinner with him. He talked to us at night. And, told and, us about and what was the minister going of culture is right there. Yeah. Right. We met him. We shook his hand. And so that's traditional garb. And if you throw, if you that throw back the picture up back up, so you, can see. Um, you can see pretty much everyone in the background is wearing the similar things. So it's basically a robe, leggings, uh, boots, usually a, a shawl for the more developed people. You can see there's one of the clowns is standing behind him, his uh, left shoulder there with the uh, leaves growing out of his head. Right. Okay. So this was during festival, right? This was during Thinfu Festival. Yeah. Okay. So, so having um, the clown, clown behind him isn't no, not out of place. Uh, so, because if you see, if you saw like Dr. Fauci right now, yeah, <laughs> and Bozo the clown was behind him, mm -hmm. <laughs> you'd be like, "What's going on?" I lose some context, yeah. Right. So, speaking of having close contact with senior members of government, little story: we were driving, we were following the river down uh, through the country. Um, headed to the southern end so that we could transition into India. Long drive, not too many people on the road, certainly no potty stops anywhere along the way. So, you know, after a while we're like, okay, you know, let's all find a spot and guys on this side, gals on that side, everyone goes into the woods and spreads out and does their thing. Mm -hmm. As everyone starts coming out, I mean, there's no one for, you know, you can't see anything for as far as you can see. As we're all coming out, zipping up our pants and whatnot, this convoy starts coming through, right? It's got motorcycles, several cars, and one of the cars has a license plate on it that says Bhutan 1. Whoa. <laughs> so we're going, what the hell? And, um, and the car's driving by, and people inside are waving, and the big car with the Bhutan 1, there's a gal inside, and she's like waving to us and smiling. Was the There's kid, Ken Hudson on the side of the road, yep. zipping up his zipper. Tone, yep. <laughs> Just double check there. It was the king's mother returning from a retreat down ah. south in the country. So you never know what you're going to run into. And they don't fly. They only drive. The royal family only drove huh. then. They wouldn't take a helicopter or fly airplanes. So Safer. Safer, right? probably. You yeah. know, if you trust driving. Yeah. So uh, that was an interesting encounter. And... Uh, and I believe they've fully transitioned to parliament um, government It's probably a smart thing to do. Yeah. Well, I think what they wanted to do was they wanted to be able to reach out for support from the Western countries in the event that anyone started getting designs on invading them and absorbing them. Right. Because India did that with Sikkim. Sikkim was an independent kingdom for a and long time. And they felt that they needed to be the, liberated and be brought into yes. a parliamentary. So it's better to do it on your own terms. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting because we were one of our drivers who was Indian, by the way, actually, during a portion of the trip, was telling us that... He was Indian during a portion of the trip? Yes. yes. For a person... He, he turned into Like as soon as you got border, close to yeah. the border, his accent started yeah. changing, and you're like, oh, this guy's good. Well, we had different drivers, you know, during portions of the trip. Right. Uh, so were you on like a bus or what? what? Um, there were times when we were on a small bus, and there were times when we were in these uh, RAV4s. And how many people were you traveling with? Um, maybe like eight. Okay. Maybe eight people plus the drivers. And, and then one guy had to bail out back yeah. in Tibet. Yeah. So um, it, it's a, it was a smart move um, to just kind of build, get some protection there. Um, right. 
They did, as I mentioned, they had some amazing whiskeys there. Uh, unfortunately, Bhutan, we huh? weren't able to. Yeah, we were. What do they make their whiskey out of? Um, same stuff everyone else does, I guess. I, I didn't ask, but Rye? I was what able to sample some of it, and it was outstanding. This is a blend of straight whiskeys. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what that means. It's not bad. So we did, buy, we did buy one bottle, um, and it ended up uh, getting consumed during a particularly weird night. So I'll tell you about that <laughs> in a bit. The particularly weird night. I'm going yes. I'm I'm to save that. We're going right. to come back to it. Okay, so you're making so, your way through Bhutan. So, yeah. So we, we get to the southern end, uh, to Funchaling, which is the border city. And it's a little more run down than the rest of Bhutan, but normally Bhutan is just pristine. Beautiful, mm -hmm. well kept. It's old, but it's it's really well kept. So we walked across the border into India to go to the the uh, custom station there, and um, first of all, there was nobody there. We had to wait around for like an hour for these guys to go find someone and come <laughs> to process our Can paperwork. Can I just keep going, or you know, do, yeah, do we have to I, wait here? Yeah. I mean, they'd have never known, but um, but it was funny because about probably 100 feet across the border, you just started getting this sort of garbage stench. <laughs> and it was, and you just knew you were in a poor part of India all of a sudden. Yeah, you just moved so countries. Was, yeah, yeah, but I mean, just in 100 feet. I mean, any, any of our border cities here, you know, if you've been yeah. down to San Diego or, you know, El Paso, Juarez, you know, or any of them, you, you know, it, it's, it's phenomenal how you're like, look, there's literally like 200 yards of separation here geographically. Yeah. And the only thing that changes is the, the political state yeah. leadership, the yeah. government. 200 yards of geography. Yeah. And look at, look at the difference the between difference. the... Yeah, look at the difference between these two. Yeah, it's crazy. So that's what you, that's what you saw on that yeah. Bhutan-India border is... Yeah. Huh. So, um, so our, our destination once we got into India, the rest of it was a driving trip. Um, to get to Darjeeling. So we crossed a lot of the flat, flatter areas, um, pretty bad roads, um, huge class disparity in India. You know, mm -hmm. you, you certainly have it in all the other countries, but when you hit India, there are just, the change is, is you'll, see, you'll see just a mud house and a, and a three-story house next to each other yeah well yeah. i think i think in the united states we're you know we obviously we have different classes mm. right and there's oh, yeah. a pretty big disparity yeah. but i think generally we we like to not we, we disparage that we're like ah, anybody can go wherever they want right yeah. there, there's mobility yeah. but i think in india from i've never been there but from what i've heard uh that's kind of built into society yeah it's like no you are a lower class. Yeah, and you will never be. End of else. story, yeah. right? Not like, yeah. you know, oh, that person's low class, that person's middle class, and, and we don't really like to talk about that because we don't talk about that in the United States. I mean, it exists, yeah. but we don't talk about it. Well, but I mean, there, the, it's like, no, 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 for sure, <laughs> you know, you're, you're at this station. Yeah. Well, you kind of get into the clueless American thing sometimes, too. And, you know, someone in our, in our car said, oh, is it a school holiday today? Why are these children not in school? And I'm like, they're never in school. These are farmers' kids. Jeez. They're, you know, they're never going to see a school. So. And that's tr 
true third world. Yeah. I feel like because, yeah. you know, that we think about like education and you know as a basic human right and all this and. You know, when well, you see in, that in Bhutan and other places, uh, India also some of the bad roads, the people who do the road work are Nepalese immigrants. And, huh. and their entire families who just live on the side of a landslide and they literally carry rocks and someone else is breaking rocks with hammers and breaking it down into gravel sized pieces. And who's employing them? To pave them? the roads. I guess the government pays them. But their whole camps, you know, they just live there where they're working. And that's like institutionalized. The government has to be like giving them money, right? Yeah. Like, hey, yeah, break these rocks. Yeah. Ah, we got hammers. And one of the things the guy in India told us was, well, India tends to come into these kind of unhappy, poor migrant groups that are in another country, and they stir them up. They stir up dissatisfaction and say, well, you've been there for two years. You should have rights. You should be able to vote. You should, you know. And they stir them up, and they create this dissension and try to destabilize. Hmm. And so then that gives them an excuse to say, well, you know, these, there was conflict going on. We had to step in and take over the country to, right. to make sure it didn't spread. You know, so there's so, always that kind of push-pull going on there. <laughs> so I guess Bhutan has avoided that. Yes. So so you cross the border from Bhutan to India. Mm. You had to wait at the customs house for hours while yeah. they found a customs representative to stamp your passport. Yeah. And then we just, I guess that's important. You know, Rob Quist, again, was on here the other week. <laughs> he ended up sneaking into Algeria, right? Yeah. Did, did you hear that? Yes, I did. So, like, he, he, for what, like he, he locked himself in a bathroom on a train and, and, and snuck into Algeria. Mm -hmm. But then when he went to exit Algeria, he found that he needed an exit visa, and yes. that was harder to obtain because... He didn't have an entry. He didn't have an entry yes. visa. <laughs> All right, so Funny you waited for your stamp. Yeah, so we got we finally got that process, and um, there was actually a guy. They actually had a machine gun nest in front, and there was a guy actually sleeping on the. I mean, just like hunched over asleep on the machine gun. Sure, he was the only guy there. He was the guy we went and roused out and asked him to go find someone, very carefully. Um, Did you tap him on the cheek with a penis? Yeah, that's yeah. the way to do it. <laughs> yes, right. Bhutan is here. Yes, tap tap. So. Um, so we drove many, many hours. I don't even remember how many. Um, and finally ended up getting into the hills uh, below Darjeeling. Uh -huh. um, Darjeeling is just steep, mountainous, um, tea-growing area. So you, you hear Darjeeling tea is supposed sure. to be the best. Well, it's, it's grown on these super steep hillsides for the most part. Not too much flat land. Um, very hot, humid, hard work. Um, and so there are these women out there picking tea leaves and throwing it in a bag, hand-picking, throwing it into a bag over their back, and they bring in their bags and get paid by the bag. And um, So when we drink Darjeeling tea, that's like legitimate. Yeah. It was literally picked. It was grown and picked in Darjeeling. Picked by hand. A leaf was picked hand. by hand and thrown into yeah. to a bag. Because they only picked the, the fresh green now, certainly there are, there are tea companies that are machine harvesting, sure. and you're getting everything, including the branches in it. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, they're picking only the green leaves, and the, the tea is a camellia plant. 
Mm -hmm. is what it is. So they pick the green shoots and they, they fill their bag and then keep moving on. And by the time they come back a couple weeks later, there's more green. And so they just keep making the rounds. So what is it about Darjeeling that makes this excellent tea? I mean, I think, you know, we do the same thing Probably with wine, mostly because right? they lay claim to it. And uh-huh. <laughs> so, right. Um, interesting, interesting thing about tea, too, is that um, if you... Like, British tea is this dark mm-hmm. brown tea, and then you, get, you see green tea out of China. And, and mostly, the, from what I understand, the British tea is, is dark because it was bundled up fresh, and by the time it got home, it had basically rotted like, like tobacco. You know, it's been huh. set aside or whatever. Well, that's like black decay. tea, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, we're, in, we're in Darjeeling, and um, we, we stayed in a hotel there. We went out and did various things. Um, threw a couple pictures here. Well, let's throw those tea, tea harvesters up there. That's a pretty good picture. You took that picture? Yeah. So these are, uh, yeah, these are tea harvesters. This is one of the, the few really flat areas that we saw where people were harvesting. Um, but this was miserable. I mean, we got out of the car here and, and we were taking some pictures and they kind of showed us some of what they were doing. And I wanted nothing better than to get back in the car and get some AC going because it was really hot and miserable huh. there. Um, so then... You start driving up these steep switchback roads um, up into the mountains around Darjeeling, and this. Let's hang on this photo for a second. We'll Thomas bring it the up. the tank. Um, so this. Thomas the train. This is a steam train that was, um, I believe, originally put in to help haul tea when the British were developing it as okay. a tea area. Um, but it's still functioning, and you can actually ride on this thing if you don't mind getting covered in head to toe in soot. Um, But the road that runs through the main part of Darjeeling is, it's on a steep mountainside. So the mountainside comes down, you've got a three-story house here, right next to the road, right behind it, another three-story house, and all the way, you know, up a ways. And then on the downhill side, you have a the first story of a three-story house going down and down the hill. Right. So you've got this two-lane road that's being shared by cars going both directions, the big lorries that you see in India sometimes that are stacked like 15 feet tall. Right. You know, all sharing the road. And then in amongst all of that, this locomotive sometimes runs alongside the road, sometimes up the middle, sometimes crosses it. So traffic has to stop to let it pass. And it's just, it's crazyville. So on top of that, you know, there's a slide in here. Pop that up, Andy. Are monkeys still a problem at this point? Uh, monkeys are. So, <laughs> so let me tell you about this a little bit. So um, you got you got lorries or, 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 or trucks filled like stacked to the brim, narrow <laughs> road, houses, houses, everything, mm. and you got monkeys. Yeah. So we're in our. Uh, we're in a hotel one night, and uh, we had, uh, it was, we'd come back from dinner, we'd had a couple drinks, they'd, it was interesting, very, very British sort of place. Uh, someone comes into each room and, and with a little coal shuttle and fires up a little coal fire in each room, because uh-huh. it gets pretty cold at night sometimes there. And um, 
so we're sitting there and just kind of relaxing, and all of a sudden we hear this, like someone's running across the roof. What's going on? And it, but it stopped, and so we didn't think much of it. And then we heard it again. And then we had like two people running across the roof. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? So I go, okay, I'm going to go find out what's going on. So I go outside, and they've got a balcony, but it's glassed in, right? Uh -huh. I mean, the, to get to your room, there's this balcony, but they've glassed it in on the outside. And I'm looking around. I don't see anything. And, and there's a guy, one of the guys who works in the hotel is down the hall doing something, and he looks at me, and I'm going, you know, like, someone's running on the roof. He goes, ah. Oh. He goes, look. So earlier in the day, we had been looking out over the balcony, and down below there was an area where they were selling monkey food, right? So oh, geez. people are selling or buying food and feeding the monkeys down there. Well, apparently, where they hang out at night is on Lookout Hill, which is behind us. Mm -hmm. So as I'm standing there, all of a sudden, like three monkeys come running up this rain spout that's right in front of me here. And like big one stops and looks at me and then <laughs> goes on up and runs across the roof. And there's, there's mama monkeys with babies hanging on their backs. And I probably counted 30 or 40 monkeys just in the little time I stood there and watched them come up this drain pipe, right? So we go, okay, that's weird. And he said, yeah, they're going to Lookout Hill. So we go, we'd heard about Lookout Hill. So we thought, well, we should walk up there and take a look. So this is the middle of the night. It was You it couldn't was like sleep dusk. anyway because there was a troop well, was of like monkeys dusk. running across so your roof. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't late. It was dusk. And uh, so we said, all right. So we grabbed our cameras and whatever, and we, and we took this hike. And it was a substantial climb, but we got to Lookout Hill. And uh, as we're walking, we see this guy. Can we show the... There he is. So... And we keep seeing them, and we keep seeing them in groups of two, three, four. And some of these, bear in mind, are like the size of a small child. And you start looking at them, and you look at their teeth, and you start thinking, hmm, how many of it would it take to take you down and eat you if they wanted to? <laughs> so, so we ended up going up the mountain, and um, at the top of the hill, they have a sign that says, beware of the monkeys, right? We, you know, it would have been more useful at the bottom of the hill <laughs> to right. let you know. Uh, but you get to the top of the hill, and it's, there's a small temple up there, and they've got prayer flags everywhere. And there are, uh, there are groups who go up there, and they've got big bonfires going, and they're mm -hmm. drumming. And a very surreal experience. Um, so... That was uh that was fairly cool. Uh, no, 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 that I think you made the right call there. You, you you heard monkeys running on top of your roof in your hotel, mm -hmm. so you, you followed the monkeys up a hill. Yeah, and you discovered all this other this cool scene. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, which you'd never so, see before. Yeah. So yeah, it's a fun little mini adventure. Yeah. And um, so the next day, um, we ended up doing some more uh, driving around and looking at stuff. And we went to a temple, because that's what you do is you go to temples. Right. <laughs> and uh, on our way back, you know, by now we're in these RAV4s, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we pull out onto the road, and 
there's this, all these school kids, right, just marching down the street. And we're going, what, did school just let out? You know, it's kind of the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, oh, no, 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 they're demonstrating. Like, and we start looking around, yeah, they've got, like, signs and stuff. And, uh, and they didn't look very happy. And, um, and, and then it seemed like there were more adults sort of joining them. And, of course, our car has just now pulled out into the middle of all of this, right? And they're all around you. And you're starting to go, so this is a demonstration. We're in a small car that, like, two children could roll over if they wanted to. Right. And um, are we safe here? He goes, we'll leave this area. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Are we safe? Yeah. Eh, we'll go somewhere else. So That's not what you want to hear. So we, we navigated our way through the crowd, and fortunately people moved out of the way, and we, we ended up going back to the hotel. This is in Indian Darjeeling, this right? This is in Darjeeling. So we're saying, so we started asking more questions about what's going on. And um, so apparently... Back in um, the ancient kingdom days, there was the kingdom of Gorka, uh -huh. right? Nepali, and then there was Sikkim. Uh -huh. um, and Darjeeling was sort of a disputed territory that Sikkim owned, and then Nepal came in and took it. It was Gorka. And so um, there was a show there called Indian Idol, which is like the American Idol version of... Okay. Yeah, same. Were same these people name. protesting because their favorite contestant lost? No. Okay. Uh, it's worse than that. Um, <laughs> so they had a local policeman who had entered and had won. Okay. And apparently some radio DJ somewhere had made some disparaging remark and said something to the effect of, Oh, so I guess you'll have to protect yourselves because all the Gorkas are now singing. All right. Okay. So, since most of them are of Gorka or Nepalese descent in that area, they really took offense to that. And so they decided to go out and demonstrate about it. So they and demonstrated against a radio DJ? Yes. I feel like radio DJs don't have that Well, they considered sway. it a, they basically considered it sort of a racist comment. It was, it was offensive. To them as as Gorka. Yeah, but I mean, you know, like I, I would say, like a lot of our TV personalities and radio hosts make disparaging comments fairly frequently in the United States, but people don't demonstrate I, about. All I can you know, say like, is, uh, like if Anderson Cooper, right? If Anderson, yeah. like Anderson Cooper, that guy doesn't make really disparaging comments, right? But if he made some racial disparaging comment, I don't think people would be protesting Ant Anderson Cooper. Yeah. Well. Apparently, Indian Idol is a really big deal there. <laughs> <laughs> so this was really important. So it was important to them. And um, so we got back to the hotel, and it was, okay, we're not going out again. And this thing started spreading. And basically, most of Darjeeling got caught up in it. And um, we got pretty much locked down for the rest of the night. And uh, the next day, we were going to drive out, and they said, okay, we're not taking the route that we were going to take. We're taking back roads. And back roads there are back really roads. back roads. These were nasty, deep potholes. I think, I think there's a picture of somewhere around that somewhere, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're just horrendous. And um, one of the guys who was in our... Yeah, that's 
Yeah. Is that, is that the super bad back road? Yeah, so that's one of them. And I'll show you I more. I can see a road there. I I'll thought, show you but, more I mean, later. That's, that's but, a washed out area, right? Yeah, so they've built that all back up with stone. But, so this is a But you can see road, basically yeah. there's, there's room for one car to go by. You're not passing anybody on that portion. Right. But what you don't really see in this photo is that if you look, if you look to the right of the road and you see it drops off, if you go walk over there and look down, that might be two or 300 yards down. Hmm. So if you roll off, you're pretty much dead. Yeah. <laughs> There's no coming back. Um, so we ended up uh, taking this back road. The, one of the guys who was with us in our car that day had a Go bad back to back. that weak bridge sign. That's funny. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, this is, this is as we came in as we took all these back roads and we ended up uh, crossing into Sakim. This is the sign we were graded with on the bridge. And, and I read that and I looked on the bridge and there were two fully loaded lorries crossing this bridge. Yeah. I'm going, okay, it says one vehicle at a time. Okay. And five tons. Five, five tons. tons. I'm pretty sure two of those lorries is more than five tons. <laughs> yeah. But we let them clear off the bridge before we crossed. But not the kind of thing you want to see when you're <laughs> Yeah. So we ended up um, we ended up checking into a hotel. We we did all our So this is you 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 you've gotten into Sakim at this point. So right? we're into Sakim now. Um, which is an independent state. Well, no, it was um, it was an independent kingdom uh, until I think it was the late 50s. India decided, yeah. We're, we're going to stir up some stuff, and we're going to absorb you, and they did. So, so it's, a, it's like technically a part of India protectorate, now. or do they have any sort of independent government? It's the I, king? No, I don't think so. I think it's just it's a, just India. It's another state in India, India, but yeah, outside of that, it's it doesn't mean much. But I think you know, if we were looking at the map, like if you if if you were to draw, like I I have an idea of the shape that India exists, mm -hmm. right? And I don't think Sakim is part of that. Sakim is, is very tiny. Okay. Yeah. Um, so 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 you moved over you moved over into Sakim. Yeah. And Sakim, I don't have a lot of photos of Sakim or many good stories about it because it was kind of unremarkable, really. It's a it's kind of a dirty, beat up old city. What'd you go there for? Uh, it, just because. It was on the list. We weren't going to go back for on a separate trip, so we decided, well, we'll just take it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, we, you know, we saw some textile factories and things and, you know, a little bit interesting. But basically, uh, our last night there in the hotel, um, first of all, we, we checked into our hotel room. And every night, you know, we drag out all of our batteries and chargers and whatever for the cameras. Right. And we do all our photo downloads and we plug in chargers to charge batteries uh -huh. for the next day, whatever we've burnt that day. And so we ended up, um, at the time, uh, they didn't have these universal, you know, 110, 220 auto Right, plug sensors. it into whatever, yeah. yeah. You had to have these adapter transformers and stuff, you know. So, yeah. so we had one of those, and uh, we plugged this thing in, and I plugged in probably five or six batteries and other devices, and all of a sudden, boom, <laughs> the whole wing goes dark. <laughs> Uh-oh. Ooh. So we quickly sort of covered that. That up. wasn't us. <laughs> called the called the desk and said, um, you know, we seem to be having a problem up here. So they came in, they looked around, and 
you know, after about 15 minutes, the lights came back on. So someone went and shoved a penny in the fuse box or whatever they did to get right. it running again. And uh, so we ended up, um, I go, okay, I'm just going to plug in two, right? Just two, because we need those. And so I went and plugged those two and, and bang. Like right? pretty instantly. So you knew this was you. This wasn't yeah, like, you yeah, know. It wasn't, yeah. This it was, was definitely <laughs> Ken Hudson. I mean, the first one in. took a while, but that one pretty much as soon as I plugged it in, bang. And it, but it, this time it was just our room. So it, again, it was like kind of obvious. So, okay, so sorry, the hotel I mean. is isolated to yeah. you. You are the problem. And they basically came back and said, okay. What are you doing? They, they couldn't fix it, right? So fortunately, there was an empty room across the hall. But just before we had blown it out, you know, we were repacking for the next day because, you know, at the end of our trip. So your, all your stuff's yeah. exploded all at over the At the end place. of our trips, sure. we unload all the disposable stuff that we, you know, toilet paper and things that we're not going to need for the rest of the trip. And, I mean, you know, thinking back, I should have kept it now. Right. But, <laughs> but everything was spread all over the bed, right? completely unpacked and now the room is pitch black and Ugh. no windows no nothing to help so we ended up and we had we had bought one bottle of Bhutan whiskey and we thought we're just gonna crack this with everybody you know the last night and so we'd already invited everyone over <laughs> so, <laughs> so we basically got hold of the bedspread with all of our stuff on it and dragged it across the hall oh, threw was... it on the other bed and everyone showed up expecting whiskey, so we cracked the bottle and poured it around. We got some of it packed, and then it was time to go down to dinner. So um, our guide says, well, I've got good news and bad news for you. So good news, this is our last night here. We're going to have a really nice dinner. Drinks are on the house, you know, and uh, we're going to enjoy ourselves. And <laughs> the bad news well, the rioting has gotten worse. We can't take the main roads. Uh, and we want to avoid daylight. So we're going to be leaving at 2.30 in the morning. Oh, jeez. So we finished dinner around 11. We've got all of our crap all over the, <laughs> the bed. So we had to pack our stuff. And basically, didn't get any sleep that night. Yeah. So we pile in. So how did you pack all your stuff in the dark? Well, we had light in there. Okay. So it was so okay. So you drug the you know, back. But, yeah. but you didn't do that. That room check. No. I'll tell you what, Rich Mayfield's travel tips, right? Headlamps, always headlamps. Mm -hmm. Headlamps these days are so tiny and so cheap, you put them in there. Yeah. I have a headlamp in my truck, I have it in my backpack, I have headlamps everywhere. Yeah. And they're fantastic. Because it's not like that minor headlamp. Yeah. You know, that's like a whole thing. And yeah. no. These like little headlamps that have two double AA, A, triple A batteries in them are fantastic. Yeah, very useful. <laughs> but you didn't have that then. And, and again, no. this was like set 10 years ago? Yeah, well, like 2007. Oh. I mean, we had flashlights. We'd just stand them on right. the end and, you know, put them up yeah. on the seat. Yeah, a headlamp is indisposable at this point yeah. in travel. So anyway, so we pile into these cars, and of course, it's just starting to rain. And I don't mean just rain. I mean monsoon rain. It was just pouring to where you... At times, couldn't see. You really couldn't see more than ten feet in far at times, and so. Um, Good thing you can't go too fast on those back roads, huh? Yeah. So let me put a couple more of the back roads. 
back road pictures. Well, let me pull this one up. I just yeah, tell show us that about one. This guy. I just. So this was just. Um, this was a temple we went to in Sakim, and I just saw this monk sitting on this wall. Um, it was a big drop away in front of him, but he was. It, it just kind of had a really peaceful feel to me, and uh, he was just out there meditating and watching the fog roll by. So, hmm. little diversion. Uh, next. Okay, so that's our little RAV4 convoy, and it's just starting to rain here. So those three vehicles, those are the vehicles that were in, in your little group? Yeah. And then... Um, that are going to go take on the back so the, next, the monsoon. Next photo. Oh, wow. Okay, so oh. this is... <laughs> This is uh, this was bridge. one car wide. We got out of the car and let him drive across on this one, um, and we walked across. But that whole road section just slid away, and that's several hundred yards straight down. And it, but if you can see the the walkway there, um, some I beams across there that was there next to the road before it slid away. People were still walking across that to get to the other side of it. Yeah. And uh, wow. So a couple more photos. So, yeah, some so big. This the, now this, this is, is a rock slide. Sakim. Yeah. So this was as the daylight started to come out. Um, so in the middle of the night, it's pouring rain, and a big section of road had washed out. It was just gone. So they diverted mm. us through a forest. They had like ribbons tied on trees, and we were driving through forests in at like four in the morning, pouring rain. Lori's coming the other way like within a foot or two. Who diverted you through the forest? There was a detour sign. And then your guides are just following and, like ribbons on trees? Yeah, yeah. And this is normal? Apparently, yeah. Man, I get pissed well, off when, I, when, when they uh, shut down I-5 and, uh, and I yeah. got to go follow detours through City of Industry it or was, some stuff. It was an adventure, but these guys, these guys are amazing. I mean, we blew a tire. We blew tires a couple, three times because, you know, they're rough roads, r sharp rocks everywhere. And the first time it happened, we blew a rear, right rear tire. And we're going, well, how long is it going to take for the tow truck to get here? You know? <laughs> no, nope, and, spare tire. And they're like, uh, yeah, there are no tow trucks. And uh, huh. so you're just going to change to the spare. And eh, no spares. So, you know, oh, yeah, no. It happens all the time. So, you know, within 10 minutes, this guy had the tire, the wheel off. He had the tire off of the rim. And he'd pulled a patch kit out of the golf compartment. And he was like, you know, <laughs> laying this patch on there. And I'm thinking, as we're driving across these one-lane roads with a steep cliffside, I wonder how many patches are on that tire. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but they're resourceful. I mean, this is just like any country. You know, you deal with what you have, and you learn to live with it and, and make it work. So, you know, things we just kind of take for granted are just not available so they find other ways oh yeah um, so that's that's cool though you know like that's that's a good story you, you know it's amazing what you get used to right yeah like again you think about what we here in southern california like get angry about yeah you know like if we if i blew a tire on the way home i'd be mad yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know if, but if but but if you're traveling through these back roads in the himalayas oh well, that's something that happens. Yeah. And I'm sure if I lived there for a couple of years, I wouldn't care either. Yeah. It would just be a normal... Yeah, it's just a normal thing that happens. Yeah. You just deal with it. So did you make it out? Obviously, you made yeah. it out. Yeah. Well, yeah, finally it turned into... it. 
we got daylight and the rain uh, backed off. So if you back to the boulder, and then the next, so this, to the right, the last picture you saw was big boulders on the right side of the road. On the left side of the road was one of the other boulders that kept going and smashed up against this house on the other side. So that house was there before that boulder was there? Yeah. You can see the roof is sort of crunched in. So that boulder made its way down the hill. and oof, Yeah. That is a beautiful house, though. That's, that looks yeah. like a really nice house. Nice scenery. Nice Put view. that back up there again. Wow. So the rest of the road, you know, it was rough, but it was, you know, the rain had stopped, we had daylight, and then we eventually ended up down in the flatlands and on our way to the, one more, one more picture, the last one. Oh, the ever-present. So yeah, we had one last shot at monkeys. And what the, species of monkey is this? Because it, it does look like it's been the same species. I have no idea. Kind of throughout the but whole thing. This guy was, uh, we got stopped uh, waiting for a train to cross, you know. And this asshole and shows up. Yeah, and these monkeys are around, and this guy was just sitting there staring, kind of scratching himself and whatever. And so I just poked out the window, took a few pictures, and thought that one turned out kind of cool. So I bet you learned that when you see the signs, watch out for the monkeys. You take them seriously, right? Yes. Because yes. <laughs> I remember, you know, when my wife and I were in Gibraltar, you know, okay, so we, we show up and we hear about these monkeys. We're like, oh, that's cool. And then there's these warning signs, and we're like, how quaint. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah. The cute monkeys. And then you're introduced to what the reality well, really of the are, monkey yeah. situation is, and you're like, yeah. oh, this sucks. Yeah, we ran into a fair number of monkeys in like Laos yeah. back in the day. And, uh, some of them are pretty nasty yeah, and I, well, aggressive. I took a yeah. side hike, and I come back, and there's this monkey on my wife's lap. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> he, yeah. just, he just, he just, and I'm like, all right, what do I do? It's like, well, we got to go. Maybe just kind of wiggle and yeah. he'll, he'll... Throw a peanut over there. <laughs> he'll, he'll move off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I definitely oh, appreciate funny. that. You know, I, I think anybody, you know, if, if, you're, if you're watching, right, like you're like, oh, well, that's cool. Yeah. And then you, you kind of cope with the reality that these things are yeah. <laughs> they're a menace. Yeah, it's like, I mean, anytime you travel, you never know what you're going to run into exactly. Yeah. And, and you just adapt. And, yeah. And have fun with it. So where do you so so where do you go? For, so you got out of Sakine. So that's so that's pretty much it. We were down in the flatlands again, and uh, we because we had left so early, the airport wasn't open yet. Our flight was like four hours later. Where was your flight so out of? I don't. Uh, our ultimate flight was out of Delhi. Okay. But we had to fly from this um, rustic airport to Delhi, and we overnighted there, and then flew out the next morning. Wow. So it was. Uh, and it was funny because, you know, I've, I've experienced a lot of different cultures and for whatever reason, the Indian culture just kind of puts me on edge. They're, they're very intense and bargaining about everything. And, uh -huh. you know, some of the things you run into with shopkeepers trying to sell you brass stuff at the fair or whatever, you know, that's kind of how a lot of it is there. And, oh, it's aggressive, know, huh? Yeah, very aggressive. And so... Um, you know, if you're not used to that, it, it becomes kind of irritating after a while. And yeah. It's like that that next morning, it's like, I can't wait to get out of India, you know. <laughs> and then it's like on the plane on the way back, we're going, um, I'd probably come back, you know, because there's other interesting right. things. And, but, you know. But just, that's it. You, you go there 
w w when you travel, like it sounds like you travel like I travel. You go there to see the culture, mm -hmm. right? And you want to observe and you want to look at stuff and maybe you want to pick up a Gurkha knife yeah. or this. But other than that, you don't want to be sold to like the entire time. Yeah, no, yeah. I, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, everything's a negotiation. It's, right. It's, but but when you're there, you're, you're just like, I just wanted to look at this temple. I wasn't really planning on buying anything, and I would like to mm. yeah. just sit here for a while, you know? Yeah. So fortunately, this, I mean, a lot of the places we went certainly were tourist sites, but a lot of places we got to were out away, uh, yeah. not so much. So you got to experience both. And uh, I would love to go back to Nepal, actually, and spend mm -hmm. more time and, and see more of the country. Well, it sounds, you know, all the people, it sounds like a really rich area. And, yeah. and most, most of the time when we hear about this area, it's about a trek to Everest. Yeah. And all yeah. that that you just laid out for us gets skipped over. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really glad we got to hear that. So yeah. at the end, well, normally what we do is, is we, we have questions. I know we don't sure. talk about it earlier. But is anyone I, still awake? I'm, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure Andy has collected his fair share of questions on, on that stream. Andy, do we have any questions from our viewers up there? Or uh, no, because nobody watched. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, before we get to that, let's do a couple shout-outs here. Michael Bashad coming in real hot. Uh, did you hear any talk from locals about the Yeti? And what are your opinions about it? <laughs> so, yeah, a couple of people have asked me that. Um, so the Yeti. Uh, so there's a Yeti well, legend. So the, actually, the hotel we stayed in in Nepal was called the Yak and Yeti. Okay. So Yeti is certainly part of their culture. Um, we didn't see any. Uh, I'm, I'm inclined to believe there's probably something out there because there are enough cultures and uh, talking about it. Um, so you're a big I think it's, believer. I think it's probably one of the more credible cryptozoology <laughs> things out there. Uh, but you know, I'll believe it fully when I see it. Yeah. You know. Social distancing champion of the world. Yes. The Yeti. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had. I mean, it would have been a great experience, but we probably weren't quite remote enough to, right. to be in that. What else we got there, Andy? A couple shout-outs for the chat. Uh, Michael Bershot and uh, CJ Jungle, or C Jungle. Uh, thanks for watching, guys. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Thank you. 